No matter where your business is in Canada, connectivity shouldn't be a concern. Whether your business is rural, remote, or urban, reliable, scalable internet is available to you and your business. Explore Business is expanding our network. With our extensive fiber, fixed wireless, and satellite networks, we're able to bring you the connectivity your business deserves with the ability to grow right where you are. With the investments in fiber and 5G technology, Explore Business is your new choice for business internet. Get connected with Explore Business today. Are you ready to clear a new path? Welcome to Clearing a New Path podcast, a space for the underrepresented voices in rural Canada. I'm your host, Shauna Ray. Each episode, we'll speak authentic truth because it's the truth that connects us. We'll examine issues, solutions, and hope outside of the city limits. Clearing a New Path podcast is an invitation to listen and learn along with me, on the road to building a more united, feminist, anti-racist rural Canada, one rooted in diversity and driven by reconciliation. Let's learn together, clearing a new path. episode came about quite serendipitously. I put out an open Zoom call on a Sunday afternoon to all of the guests from season one. As luck would have it, I had quite a thought-provoking conversation with Indigenous elder, lodgekeeper, author, and rural businesswoman, Cindy Crow. Cindy is a band member of the Opwa Ganasanen, or Red Rock Indian Band, about an hour east of Thunder Bay, Ontario. Cindy and I talked about upcoming municipal elections. Cindy owns businesses, and she's worked in many different sectors, including working with vulnerable populations. And she is vulnerable in her own right in this episode and authentic as she speaks about her own experience with houselessness. As we approach Canada's second National Day of Truth and Reconciliation, her words offer a great deal to think about. Since you were the last guest in the first season, it is, it seems appropriate to have a conversation with you about the second season and about, um, you know, what issues are affecting rural and remote communities almost at an earth level. So I want to invite spirit in to guide us both it's beautiful start the conversation with what we're feeling in this moment what 
is coming up for each of us as we think about how we fit into healing rural Canada? What are some of the things that we that are missing or that we can hold space for? Who are the people that are being silenced, uh, ignored? Who's being put on a pedestal? And are they still on that pedestal for everyone? There's so much. Yeah, there is so much. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I mean, as you know, I come from a very small community here. It's called Niebing. I call it Niebin, but it's called Niebing here by everyone. And it's uh, south of Thunder Bay and just north of the Minnesota border. And in our very large geographical area, there's about 2000 people here. So it's a very small, very small community. We're really spread out. I mean, my closest neighbor is two kilometers down the road. So yeah, we're really spread out. And I would say that what I have been seeing coming up lately, first of all, is the election. That's, that's one thing. And um, it's interesting to me that I'm seeing sort of generally speaking that I, I feel like people are being very cynical and critical of the candidates. And um, I don't really understand that perspective because as someone who did run in an election in 2010, now mind you, it was not for this small community, it was for the larger community of Thunder Bay. But I was thinking about these candidates this morning here in our area, and I was thinking, you know, it takes great courage. It takes great courage to step up and put yourself out there and say, okay, I'm going to run for the upcoming election because you're literally putting yourself out there. You are definitely stepping out of your comfort zone. And regardless of what your objectives are or regardless of your perspectives, why wouldn't the rest of us at least respect you for stepping up? You know, not everybody has that courage. Not everybody has the ability or the freedom to do that. Well, yeah, I, I, have a, I have a different respect or a different understanding of people that are stepping up and putting themselves forward as a candidate and then, and then to get voted on, right? To see if you get in. I mean, that's a whole different... I, I don't like the process, but that's what we have right now. So, you know, that's that's what we're dealing with. I mean, I prefer, as you know, I prefer much more the circle concept and having everybody be included in the conversation. Everybody that wants to be included in the conversation. And that, you know, I prefer it that we arrive at a consensus and and move forward from there. However, that's not what we have here right now. So why wouldn't we celebrate these individuals that are stepping forward to, um, to be a candidate? Celebrating that, sure, we may not agree with their, like I say, their objectives or their perspectives, but again, I think it takes great courage to do that. So I, definitely that is something that I can see happening here now. On the land side of things, uh, definitely I would say, you know, we need to be I would think more educated about climate change and 
and what's happening and is there anything that we can do to reduce the impacts on on the climate change can we you know somehow reconcile with the earth is there a way for us to do that so i would think that would be another you know sort of a big topic big topic here and we're talking about a municipal election in ontario manitoba there are a few other provinces atlanta canada some parts of atlanta canada and i believe northwest territories parts of the northwest territories are having municipal elections this year And I want to ask you what your experience was running. Thunder Bay isn't a huge community. It is bigger, obviously, in your area than Nibing. But what was Mm -hmm. your experience? Did you you go door to door at all candidates meeting? Was there intimidation from people and negativity from people when you campaigned? How did that go? So I didn't have a budget. It was my first time ever running. I didn't have a budget. You know, it was family and friends uh, supporting me. And because I was running at large, so I chose to run at large because at that moment in time in Thunder Bay, there was no advocate for the Indigenous voices or even the voices of women. So I had chosen to run at large. Now, of course, thinking back, that probably wasn't the best decision. That was the Cindy Crow ultimate goal decision, but I don't think politically speaking, it was the best decision. I possibly should have maybe just ran in my ward. I think the results would have been better. And then maybe the following term, um, you know, run at large. Anyways, hindsight is always 2020, as I say. But um, even though, like, even though I had no budget, and even though I didn't really know what I was doing, because I had never been a politician, quote, unquote, I came in 12th, which was crazy amazing to me. I'm like, whoa. So yeah, I didn't beat out the incumbents, the incumbents um, got in. But to come in 12th without a budget, I thought, wow, that was, I was very pleased with that because it's a, it's a city of about 110,000. So, you know, I think the results were good. And then following that, I had also been asked by NDP to be a nominee. And um, I did consider that. And I was uh, ready to go with that until I received some spiritual direction. So I'll just briefly mention that the guidance that I received indicated to me that it was not a good use of my time and energy, that I would have, I guess, more heartfelt responses by continuing to do the work that I was doing as a lodge keeper versus being a politician, because um, it came to, it came to me that I realized that somebody was going to hand me a piece of paper every morning and say, okay, These are the people that you're talking to today. This is your script. This is what you're saying. And I always said to people, I'm not an actress. I never was an actress. And that wouldn't have sat well with me. So I'm, I'm very grateful for the way that it all turned out. But in order to answer your question, I would say that um, possibly people didn't take me seriously. You know, that was possible. 
oh, you know, look at her, blah, blah, blah. But I bet you they were surprised I came in 12 too. You know, I don't know that I was taken seriously. There are council in the city, I think that were respectful of me. Yeah, I didn't really get any flack from the community, which was also interesting to me. I, I didn't know how they were gonna respond to that, to me running, but I never felt, and this is very sad, but I never felt as though I was being treated as an equal by the council that was, that was already serving. It's been a really different experience for me here in Neving. So I will say right from the get-go, right from the very first phone call to their office, I have always felt equal here. I have mm -hmm. always felt like I am an equal and that I am respected as an equal and I am treated so well, so, so, so well. So yeah, it's very, very different here. So it's, yeah, this, this upcoming election, it's important to me because uh, I am excited to see who's going to get in. The current council has been supporting my projects and my business activities, my personal life. I mean, they have been phenomenal. So it's been so different. You kind of alluded to changing the system from the inside as opposed to changing it from the outside. And I have always felt like I wasn't the person to change it from the inside. And because it is a broken system that serves patriarchy, colonialism, capitalism. And you talked about a circle. And so, you know, kind of sitting around in collaboration, sitting around a circle, even if it's virtual, it's, it's even yeah. passing, passing a stick, right? Passing the speaking mm -hmm. stick. So everyone gets a voice and that our political system isn't set up that way. In fact, you saying you had no budget, even the access to run has a price tag. So someone who doesn't have the means to even buy signs or a banner right. or, and you have to get a certain amount of signatures to even drop your hat into the ring. I think, how do we change a system that has been in place for, you know, since 1867, We've had the Canada that we have, and how do we keep a democracy and yet hear voices that aren't being heard in a political system that has basically eliminated the voices of women, uh, the voices of Black and Indigenous people of color, disabled folks, and people who are impoverished or houseless there's no way that they would be able to access or, or gain the influence to sit at the table and have a voice and a conversation. So I don't have the answer mm -hmm. <laughs> to, to how to solve that. But what I know to be true is that people are frustrated with what we have right now. So looking to change something, even if it's something small, to build community again, trust that has to be healed. And 
it, it's a slow process. It's taken a long time for people to lose that trust. It's almost like we've accepted that politicians are this way, that are they are arrogant and they are you know nasty. And we accept that that is part of politics. And we don't have to. But no, we, we don't have. have to. I don't believe that a leader has to be like that in order to lead. I mean, I... I observe and I've had the great pleasure of working with chiefs from the far north who, you know, when there's a decision to be made within their communities, and their community could be 200 people, could be 1,500 people, could be a couple thousand people, but again, the communities are small, and when, you know, when the chief and, the, and their council needs to make a decision, they don't arbitrarily make the decision on behalf of the community. That's not how it works. You know, they will go to each of the family heads, sit with them and have tea and consult with them what, what should be done. And they receive their answers and then they'll go back to whatever table it is and give their decision. Even if they don't necessarily believe that that is the right decision, they are gonna follow the guidance from their community members. I feel like that would be a much better way for us to be respecting the circle in, in general. I would like to see more of that kind of leadership versus the way it is now. Because even our road accessible First Nations don't operate the same way. They don't operate the same way. They will take it upon themselves to make decisions. Some of them, I'm not saying, I'm not saying they're all like that, but primarily speaking, there is that distinction between the road accessible and the fly-ins. So I, I love that that's what the fly-in communities do. I just love it. And, and then if you get to have a, and then if you get to sit in a room where all of these chiefs are voting on something, and now it's 51, there used to be 49 for the longest time, now it's 51. So you have 51 chiefs presenting their community's vote on an issue. It's remarkable. It's just a remarkable experience. And, you know, I've been in the room with the chiefs when a decision has been made that they weren't sure how it was going to go and it went favorably. And But to see these grown men and women with tears rolling down their faces because you know because the decision has has been made and and it was what they were hoping would would come through to me that's what community should be like that's that's how i would love to see it not the way that it is now government making policies and then and then they roll these policies out and they want to they want to force these policies onto community members with us not having a say in it. Like we didn't get to contribute to the conversation. So I, I don't like that. I don't think that's the way that our, our land should be run or should be respected. I feel that's very disrespectful. So I would prefer to see it the other way. You know, why can't we have a clan system? The government has adopted it to some degree, right? And, and they have been adopting it over the, over the centuries. But, you know, why can't we have a, a system like that, a clan system or a neighborhood system or whatever it is, so that every neighborhood, every community would have a voice?
in the decisions. <laughs> I'm throwing well, it out there. People would argue, though, that that's what ridings are, right? And in, in representatives for each riding. And I'm going to guess that that's the way that ideally they wanted that to roll out was each of your communities has, you know, a geographical area in a riding, and it is that person's responsibility to collect and meet with as many organizations and leaders as possible. I was going to say, when you were talking about consulting the community and going to each family, and that is, I know, I know the other, other side of this, but it is time consuming. It is time consuming to do that. And so we're not used to that. We're not used to letting go of the immediacy, the urgency, the hustle, the busyness, and, and making conversations and story the priority rather than vice versa, showing up for that um, ribbon cutting or that you know, the shovel in the ground and mm -hmm. all of those things, those are part of a, a representative's, you know, jobs, quote unquote, or, or job description. And those take up time. And, and if they don't do those things, people say, I never see them. You know, we invited them and they didn't come. Mm -hmm. And so how do they do that when the writings are massive, massive, geographically, you know, we've gotten away from being able to do that because of the way that everything is designed with a capitalist colonial lens, everything, the yeah. writings, the way we conduct business, all of the things, it's all, you know, a very full of noise, full of busyness, stress, strife, schedules, mm -hmm. And I don't know any different. I, I've grown up that way. And it's not to say that things can't change, but what is it that we can do or ask for to open that up so that there's something different in, in a choice? It's kind of a similar situation as saying if we're looking at the borders, right? We're looking at borders. So the border between... US and Canada, the border between Ontario and Manitoba, etc. The border of, you know, the District of Thunder Bay, which is humongous. It's humongous. Yeah. People don't realize yeah. how, how large that district is. That system's not working. This borders, these systems of borders. Mm. I think that, you know, I think we need to go back to, as I was saying, you know, if, if the Northern chiefs are, if they're visiting the heads of families, so they're talking to the family heads. And so that, that individual will speak on behalf of their family. I see no reason why we couldn't do that within neighborhoods or smaller communities. And so you, you could hold a community meeting where everybody could come and bring their voice. Or you could hold, you could have online questionnaires. You know, we get asked to do surveys all the time. Um, there's social media opportunities. There's so many ways that we can, you know, at, or not advocate, but articulate what our, what our desires are. What I found crushing 
about the current system is things like, let's say, our charity that applied for funding through the city of Thunder Bay to do the work to help the people, to help the vulnerable people. And we were informed in writing through a letter that we didn't have the capacity to do this work. And so therefore they would not be providing us with the funding. Well, I thought, wow, nothing like putting up, you know, a huge barrier for improvement. So what does that do? Well, that shuts that door of communication down like completely. There's no opening there to have a conversation. They declare that, hey, we are better than you. We're telling you that you don't have the capacity to do this. End of conversation. So what is that doing? How is that, how is that helping anyone? So, you know, they do things like create a very, very large courthouse. Oh my goodness. All of that funding could have been invested in the people. Rather than what I see, creating an ivory tower, a legacy for the people that are in power at that time. What are they doing now? They're creating a very large correctional center. Again, why not spend those billions of dollars on the people? Why not, why not do that instead? And so that we don't have 75% Indigenous population in the jails or whatever it's at right now. You know, I don't, I don't believe in these decisions that they're making. And they're making these decisions arbitrarily for their own benefit, to line their own pockets. It's not about what the community really wants or, or what the community could benefit from. It's not about that. What about all the people that don't have homes? What about all the people that have been separated from their families? What about all the people that are impacted by trauma? And the list goes on and on and on and on. It's, it's so scary. I mean, the, um, the gangs are, are literally taking over the city and people are not feeling safe in their neighborhoods anymore. So eh, I don't know that they're making the best decisions right now. I think that that's always been the case. I think that as a, as a politician, it would be difficult to make everyone happy. However, there is a perception that they need to uphold that they're doing something. And when you say line their pockets, that's exactly the goal is once you're in power, if you want to make change, you have to stay in power. And so yes. how do you do that without courting the people that have money that can help you with your campaign, that can help, you know, subsidize charitable or nonprofit programs? Right. And yeah, the, they have to show something. What you said is, is very true, is, is a legacy. So no one wants to sit on a council or um, as, a, as an MP or an MPP or an MLA and not ha have something to show for it and not have someone look on their Wikipedia <laughs> site or whatever and yeah. see that I checked that box. That was my campaign promise. I checked that box. That was my campaign promise. But, but what about all the other things you couldn't do that you said you would? And 
I just keep coming back to why is it acceptable for us? We just accept that politics is the way it is, that, that politics is making yourself look good, always talking up the things you've done and the things that are positive, but don't talk about the negative things. Don't talk about, don't own anything that you are sorry for, or that you couldn't connect with. Never hear those things. Never. I mean, no one's going to run a, a re-election campaign on here's the things I didn't do. Unless they say, here's the things I didn't do because I didn't have enough time. So vote me in again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's always that, isn't there? It's, mm-hmm. it's so frustrating to me that, you know, an individual that you knew, that you worked with, that you you know, had conversations with in the past, and then they get elected. And then somehow, well, they are too good to talk to you anymore. Mm. They're too good to listen to you anymore to see what you have to say. They won't give you even five minutes of their time. I can't, I can't handle that. I can't there, to me, there is no justification for that. Ab- absolutely not. You know, if, if you are, if, if the leader, whoever was voted in is struggling with, perhaps their party is saying, yeah, you can't, you can't talk to anybody. You can't, you know, you can't spend any time with anybody. Then be vulnerable with that and share that with us. Tell us. Oh, well, the party, the party's not letting me talk to you because then at least, you know, as an individual, if I voted for your party, well, then that gives me a choice the next time. Okay, maybe I shouldn't be voting for this party. You know, there's, there's all of that. But I mean, I I think about, you know, as again, again, as a professional, I worked with these people in the past. Now they don't want to, now they don't want to associate with me. I'm having that experience. What is the experience like for people that maybe didn't know that person ahead of time? And now they're trying to approach them. There's uh, uh, advocates on the behalf of climate change that have been trying to work with, and I guess I better not mention any names here, but um, that's frustrating to me that they are not giving their time to these individuals. That is what you got voted in for. That is your responsibility. So you are not meeting your responsibilities in any way, shape, or form. The only one that you're meeting the obligation form, I'm from I from what I can see from the outside, is that you're meeting your party's obligation. And that's it. You're not meeting the obligations of the people. Maybe you're listening to the people that have big money. Maybe that's who you're listening to, but you're not listening to the people that are trying to make ends meet and or maybe have a home, maybe they don't have a home and they're trying to figure out how to get a home. I mean, there's so much trauma in the area. It's, yeah, it's very, very scary. It's so discouraging. Do you think that sometimes people don't make those priorities because it makes them uncomfortable that they maybe never have known someone that has been struggling with addiction or mental health issues? or houseless, couch surfing, perhaps they don't have lived experience with a relative or someone they know, and they 
it really makes them uncomfortable to even confront their own bias. I think it definitely makes them uncomfortable, but I do not believe that they're not familiar with it. Mm. I don't think that there's a family anywhere that hasn't been impacted by trauma in one way or another, whether that's a medical situation, whether it's a housing situation, whether it's a financial situation. I mean, every family has been impacted by trauma in some way or another. So absolutely, these leaders are familiar with that. Yeah, if, if you were to have a conversation with someone, you, you would find out very quickly that, yeah, maybe their son is, has an addiction. Maybe their brother went to jail. But I don't think that these leaders have not been touched by, by trauma. I believe they have been. But why is it that they can't show their vulnerability, mm. be human, mm -hmm. and share that? You know, the, the training that I provide for industry and corporations to establish, to initiate and foster relationships with Indigenous people is, I will always say, go to the common denominators. Food and humor are two very successful ones that to, you know, to uh, create relationship with Indigenous people. So I would suggest using that same format for everyone, right? You know, um, I recently did some building anniversary celebrations in the area here, and um, that's what we did. We had food. We had music, we had some games for the kids, we, we played some different things, we did ceremony. That was to provide an opportunity for individuals to see, okay, I could approach this person and I could talk to them and I could have that heart to heart. That's all people need. They need a doorway opened up so that that can happen. And we need to be doing more of that. We all need to be doing more of that. It's not just on the politicians, it's on us as well, but we need to be doing more of that. We need to have conversation because it's through that sharing that we get to learn through, we get to learn so much about each other. And then, you know, perhaps you can provide some help or a, or a possible option or a suggestion. Well, we can't do that without having a conversation. So that's the first thing I believe the politicians need to be doing is having an actual down to earth conversation. People are afraid. People are afraid to start conversations because they're afraid to say the wrong thing. And that's when vulnerability comes in. And I want to go back to the, what you said about everybody is it has been touched by trauma, which is so true. And I think I have heard or seen, you know, on social media that people will say, I've experienced trauma in my family, you know, an intergenerational trauma. Why is it different for Indigenous people? That's not my words, but, and they will argue that, but here's the thing. We came here. Indigenous people were already here. I think people forget that Indigenous people were the first keepers and are the keepers of Canada, of our land. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why people don't understand that or 
oh or accepted. Yes. Why yeah. that's hard, so hard to accept. But I do feel the shift happening, though. I do feel a shift I happening. Change. I feel that I hear more and more people using that respectful terminology in their conversation. So I, I do believe that it is changing, at least, you know, in my, in my region, if you will. You know, let's say Ontario. I think that it's changing in Ontario. I think people are are slowly getting there. But the evidence uh, illustrates that we are not quite there yet, because if we think about reconciliation as one topic, you know, there were 94 calls to action put out in 2015. This is now 2022. And in seven years, only 11 calls to action have been completed. That is ridiculous. And one of those calls was to declare the, the September 30th as National Truth and Reconciliation Day. So, I mean, you know, how hard was that? We think about what they did recently for the Queen or the Pope, you know, yeah. what they were able to accomplish in a few days for the Queen or for the Pope. So it's not that they are not able to or that they can't make those changes. You know, it's it is definitely possible for them to do that. There's just no, there's just no drive to do it. So yeah, so even thinking about reconciliation as one topic, it's disheartening, right? It's disheartening to see that, that the people that have the great pleasure of living on this land do not respect the people that were here for thousands of years Will we ever know how long they've been here? I don't think so. I, I don't know that they, they ever will. But, you know, at least in this area, we know it's at least 12,000 years. I believe it's a lot more. Why isn't there a respect for the people? You know, why, why don't we have that? So, yeah, it, it can be very disheartening. But I, I will say, though, I will say that I have been experiencing a shift. I do see that there's a shift happening. And I think that by the time the next generation, so my children's age, are the leaders of this mm -hmm. land, mm -hmm. I think it's going to be very different. A lot has happened in a short time. The pandemic has sped up so yeah. much awakening uh, yeah. for so many people. And, and it is a hopeful uh, awakening, I think. You're right, the shift is happening. And um, people are actually reading the calls to action after seven years and uh, realizing that they have a place. Every individual has a place. My friend Stella says, uh, do what you can where you are with what you have. Yeah. And, and it, it's a really simple thing. Be vulnerable. That's the thing, right? We all need to be vulnerable and accept our ownership of our own ancestors. No matter how proud you are of what they did, no matter how proud, they yes. still contributed to the oppression of Canada's first people. And we need to own that. That's part of the healing. It's not a historical thing because, yes, it happened in history. Yeah. But it's still happening today. Absolutely. So, you know, we think about the children that continue to be apprehended. That's a crime that I, you know, I can't, it's hard to deal with. It really is that it's still happening. And, and today, 
the children are being apprehended by our own people. So what, what, what happened there? Like that is, that, that feels like a bizarro world. I mean, it's, and the elders are not happy. They're not happy about this. They're very discouraged. And that's just one small aspect, right? We think about incarceration. We think about, you know, drug re rehabilitation. We think about all these things, all these things that our communities are dealing with. So yeah, there's a there's a lot on the table. And, and like like you said earlier, it's not as if we're gonna solve it in this time frame. <laughs> but just like your friend Stella said, we can all contribute. We can all make a difference. You know, if I if I choose, and and my daughters and I do this almost all the time, if I choose to give some money to a vulnerable person that is asking for money, we're not only going to hand them the money, we're going to have a conversation with them. Mm -hmm. We'll ask them where they're from. You know, have they been living here for a while? How's it going? Can I help you to access any services? Is there something that I can do to help you today? You know, we're going to have a conversation because, but for the grace of God, go I. My children and I have been homeless in the past. And it's a very shameful experience to go through very shameful. And certainly my children were innocent, didn't deserve that. That was not on them. You know, I think that if we let our vulnerability show through and we can empathize with others, I think that, I think this place would be, would be so changed. I'm not afraid to tell people that I love them. Mm. I wouldn't have been able to do that even five years ago, you know? So I think that we're all growing, we're all shifting, we're all changing. And if we can continue to inspire others, then I think that's the greatest thing that we can do. Even though I am very critical and cynical about the world of politics, I do still care about these individuals. And if they wanted to have a conversation with me, I would be happy to do that. I would invite them to do that. I think so many people want to do that. I mean, and, and now is when people are campaigning. And so they're, they're willing to have those conversations yeah. because they want to get your vote. Of course. I don't think there's a person that gets into politics at the beginning that isn't well-meaning, that isn't, you know, at least wanting to do something more or different within their community. And I think However, the, the lure of the, the power of it is very intoxicating. It's not to say there aren't some, some people out there that are really trying and really doing those things Absolutely. and very, very Absolutely. much carrying out what you're saying and having those conversations. But again, so women politicians or women leaders have all of those responsibilities to have those conversations to open those, that dialogue, to listen intently, but also they have all the other things at home that they're dealing with. If they have children and a yeah. family and grandchildren, or like you say, no one has been untouched by trauma. Yeah. 
And so they deal with all of, so they carry all of that baggage with them into a political arena. I have a great deal of empathy for women who try to do that, who have that calling, if they feel Mm -hmm. called to do that, but have all of those other responsibilities that can split their time. I would love to see your second episode get into, you know, how do we share with one another? How do we have conversations? How are we promoting the circle out there? How are we inviting individuals into the circle? How are we doing these things? Because to me, that's going to promote true reconciliation. I'm not a big fan of the word, but that's the word we have right now. I would rather it be something like interconnectedness or, mm. or something like that. A community of belonging. I love that. I love that very, very much because we all should feel that we belong in our community and feel safe in our community. I'll end with that today saying that that would be my, that would be my striving for. And then once we get to that place, then maybe that will also help the earth that that kind of that kind of relationship with each other would promote that kind of a relationship with the earth as well. That's what I would hope. I think that's a great way to end it. And we'll look to pull in people that can talk to those that can speak to those and facilitate those conversations in future episodes. Cindy, thank you, as always. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Want to keep the conversation going? Subscribe to the Clearing a New Path newsletter. Drop me an email, follow the podcast on social media, and or you can leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Clearing a New Path podcast artwork is supported by the graphic design of Katie Wilhelm. And the music branding is by The Hankering Studio. The podcast is produced by Radar Media in Thames Centre, Ontario. It is the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, and Mississauga or neutral peoples who once used this land as their traditional beaver hunting grounds. The First Nations communities closest to the studio are Chippewa of the Thames First Nation, Oneida Nation of the Thames, Muncie, Delaware First Nation, and the Chippewas of Kettle and Stony Point. I will speak to many more people across Turtle Island this season, and as a settler here, I'm committed to deepening understanding of colonialism, the TRC's calls to action, and to reframing responsibilities to land and community. I am grateful to Mother Earth and Creator for the opportunity for love and connection, and to the spirits of the elders and the medicine people who still walk the earth. Until next time, 